Do you hear that? That's a sound garden. It's a sculpture here in Seattle at the Western Regional Center for NOAA. That's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And at first glance, this sculpture does look kind of like a piece of weather forecasting equipment. It's made up of 12 tall steel structures planted in a group. And at the top of each pole, about 20 feet up in the air, there's a sleek metallic fin. It works like a wind vane. So as a breeze blows through this orchard of metal poles, the tops all turn to face it. On each sculpture, there's a steel flute that's taller than I am, hanging perpendicular to the ground. The sculptures release this halo of sound that hangs like a dome over the top of the hill they're standing on, overlooking Lake Washington. So in a way, Soundgarden is kind of a soundtrack to the lake, too. Doug Hollis is the guy who built these structures. What do we call your work? Art or science or architecture? <laughs> People call it a lot of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> the broad term I use is environmental sculpture. Today, we're going to spend some time in this blurry art-science-music zone. We'll hear from Doug about how the idea for a sound garden started with him flying kites over a garbage dump. And, yeah, we'll also talk a little bit about the band that took its name from this sculpture. I'm Sarah Wyman, and this is Atlas Obscura. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. We're running. All right. Seems to be indicating some input. I think. <laughs> Do you have a visitor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, actually, I'm the visitor. Uh, they live here. <laughs> when I gave Doug Hollis a call a few weeks ago, he was sitting on his porch in Northern California. Doug is in his 70s, but he's been making art since he was a kid. He got his first welding kit in junior high, and around the same time, he became interested in Native American traditions. I was 10 years old, and I had this uh, obsessive interest with Native Americans and joined a group of uh, like-minded white people. (laughs) So we learned to make things and, uh, and learned the music and the dances. 
Through these groups, Doug became close with a family of pretty well-known Potawatomi and Kiowa singers. He'd visit them in Oklahoma, and they taught him some of their songs and dances. I've heard Doug say in other interviews that these oral traditions, the singing, feel more visceral than other kinds of history. He said, you have to keep singing the world into existence in a way. It's become something that got ingrained in me as a kind of a different way of looking at the world, different way of being in the world, Mm. different relationship to the world. When I learned this about Doug, it made his environmental sculptures make sense. He makes sculptures that sing the world into existence. Doug's first major work of art started with some kites. It was the late 1970s, and he'd just moved to Berkeley, California. And I was thrashing around for a direction I wanted to take my art. I was interested in kites, um, although I had not had much success with um, with flying them. (laughs) These kites were not the little ones that you might have flown at the park when you were a kid. No, these were box kites, bulky, rectangular, about five to six feet in length. I'd take them down to what well, was actually a landfill at the time, next to the Berkeley dump. <laughs> but it was down on the down on the bay, and there was very good wind there. These kites could fly high up in the air, and they stayed incredibly stable, tied to these long, taut kite strings. As I started to fly these things, I realized that the kite lines were making this really extraordinary sound. Uh, So I started to investigate that, and they were essentially a prototype for what turned out to be an aeolian harp. What you're hearing here is a recording of one of Doug's aeolian harps. Just like a normal harp, the sound from an aeolian harp comes from the strings vibrating. But the sound of an alien harp shifts as the wind speed changes. It creates a really eerie, almost unsettling feeling. And if your alien harp happens to be a kite string that you're holding onto, that feeling isn't just a vibe. You can literally feel the vibration. You know, the kite is a wonderful instrument in itself because you can feel the sky with it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> when you're holding onto the line, and you can feel the sound that it's making as well. So it creates this direct connection from the atmosphere right into your body. It was at that time that I really realized that the sound was creating a kind of architecture. It was kind of a space that you were within. And the sound enfolds you. It's this translation of the wind into this more focused uh, experience. Doug went on to build sculptures that are activated by water and touch. He kept working with wind, too. He branched out into wind organs, including a big one that still hangs over the entrance to the Exploratorium in San Francisco. And in 1981, a new client reached out to Doug, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It had built a new campus in Seattle, right on the shores of Lake Washington. And some money had been set aside for some public art. You know, because of this old relationship with kite flying and so forth, um, 
I think that was my hook, if you will, that I wanted to make something that was sort of uh, resonant with their mission. <laughs> oh, but the one thing you have to worry about is that the geese have babies right now, and we have very aggressive geese on campus. <laughs> Tyann Falks very kindly volunteered to be my chaperone when I went to see a sound garden a few weeks ago. She works at NOAA as a physical scientist. Unfortunately, on the day we were there, it was pouring. How often would you say it rains here? (laughs) Is this like pretty standard? Yeah, this is pretty standard. (laughs) This would have been fine, except the wind was pretty much non-existent. A sound garden is meant to be a sonic sculpture, yes. But what's kind of incredible about the experience of it is that it isn't just a sonic sculpture. Doug designed it to activate every single one of your senses. You see the towers before you start to hear the pipes, for the most part. They're a little over 20 feet tall. And they're on top of a hill, so they're pretty hard to miss. So here it is. You know, they have the signs that say, do not climb on the towers, and it's now the number one thing I really want to do. (laughs) Well, they have, like, built-in footholds, huh? Each of the 12 towers is surrounded by an extremely climbable-looking metal scaffolding. They're painted intentionally to be the same color as the sky. Ah. Um, The the color of the sky most often in Seattle, which is relevant today. Soft gray, which at times kind of just disappears against the sky. So they can appear at certain times to just be floating in the air. Tyann and I watched hopefully as some of the wind vanes at the tops of the towers swayed sleepily from left to right, like they were trying to work up the energy to sing for us. Have you been here before when it has been making sound? Yeah, it's like a very eerie, like, Ooh, I can't even do it. No, that's definitely not it. <laughs> Similar to blowing on a bottle, like that type of sound. So, yeah, like when you like put your lips on the edge mm-hmm. and then, yeah. I do have a video of. I hear the like whistling. Yeah. Is the low hum that you hear? It sounds almost like a machine. Is yeah. that something else? Or no, is that... that's it. Oh, yeah. Wow. most of the sound like standing along these benches that are right in the middle of all of them. You can see how the path also like takes you through the sound garden too so I bet you get you know different perspective depending on where you are. Right. So how far away when it's really blown out here how far away can you hear it? Mm, Maybe like that blackberry bush over there. And that's like a couple hundred feet away. But you're not ever like sitting in your office or like no. coming and parking your bike in the morning. You're like, what is that ungodly yeah. racket? <laughs> yeah, <nope. laughs> it's much more subtle than that. If you're within the, the grove when it's really windy, it can actually be a little frightening. <laughs> I mean, it can get into some pretty high harmonics. And although I wouldn't uh, describe them as unpleasant, they do kind of excite a different emotional response, I'd say. I ran into a security guard when I was entering the NOAA campus, and he told me that sometimes on his night shifts, the wind can blow up to 20 miles per hour. 
It's actually really kind of eerie to be walking around the dark campus and stumble upon the towers, letting out this guttural howl in the middle of the night. In the years since he finished a sound garden, Doug has built a lot of sculptures. He doesn't consider a sound garden his magnum opus. It arguably isn't even his most advanced work, but it might be his most famous. So this is actually where you got the name from for the band? Yeah, we didn't name ourselves after the sculpture. We just liked the name. Some of you might have heard of this band called Soundgarden. I'm told very reliably by my colleagues Willis and Chris that they were a very big deal in the 90s. How did you feel about it when a Soundgarden became kind of a monument to the band Soundgarden? <laughs> Flattered, I suppose. You know, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's not the music of my time. Um, I was going to hit him up for a long-term maintenance endowment. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Since I never got any royalties, <laughs> but they dissolved before I could get around to it. So. <laughs> In 2017, the band's lead vocalist, Chris Cornell, died by suicide. And Doug Hollis's A Sound Garden took on a whole new meaning. There were, you know, flowers out here and people were putting flowers over on, like, the fence with the dog park. So, yeah, it was, yeah, pretty sad. Tyann told me that in summer... Sometimes she and her colleagues pass through a sound garden on their lunch break. There's a dog park on the other side of the fence and a dock where she and her coworkers like to go swimming. It all sounds pretty great. I can imagine just like coming out here and having a picnic or even, you know, I imagine that the folks of Sound Garden were probably out here drinking in the middle of the night, you know, and being enveloped with that sound in, in the dark. Pretty creepy and fascinating too. I, I like that it isn't this sort of holy place where you are very quiet and you go and sit peacefully and the whole world is around you there, including other people. And I think people who don't know each other can have a shared experience and maybe get into some kind of a conversation. But if it can be a catalyst for that too, all the better. If you picked a sound garden up and set the poles and flutes up on a different hill, they wouldn't make this exact sound. And to me, that's what makes this a work of art. Instead of painting a landscape portrait of Lake Washington or writing a poem about it, Doug Hollis built an instrument that captures the essence of this place. The geography, the weather, the atmosphere of where I'm standing. It passes through a sound garden, which acts like a sort of prism. It distills it all into a sound that is unique to this place, that is actually being made by the place itself. On some days, the world sings itself into existence at full volume. But on other days, it doesn't sing. And I don't know, I think that's kind of beautiful. I came here to listen. And if it isn't the wind singing, then I'll settle for the light percussion of the rain. A sound garden is currently closed to the public because of COVID. We all hope that it'll reopen again soon. But in the meantime, if you want to see one of Doug's environmental sculptures and you happen to be near San Francisco, 
check out the Exploratorium. Several of his interactive sculptures are on display there. Huge thanks this week to Tyann Falks, Peter Holmberg, and James Miller at NOAA. And even bigger thanks and a gigantic bear hug to my friend Gabby McGann, who I've known since high school and who now works at NOAA. She's the one who made it possible for me to visit a sound garden in person. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was edited, sound designed, and mixed by John Delore. The production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, Casey Holford, Peter Clowney. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. From a rainy parking lot in Seattle, I'm Sarah Wyman. Thanks for listening. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Now playing in Los Angeles. Exquisite food and drink. World-class art everywhere. Spectacular sports and dazzling Hollywood attractions. L.A. offers the full variety of food scene, from game-changing taco trucks to 35 Michelin stars. And did you know that Los Angeles has more museums and theaters than New York? It is indeed scandalous, but also unfortunately true. So get your fix in music, film, comedy, or world-class museums in L.A. Plus, you can get a behind-the-scenes movie magic with a world-famous studio tour. That is something that should be on everybody's bucket list. Start here with discoverla.com. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic, and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.